Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. We all have stories to tell, and that's what this show is all about. When we tell our stories, we pass along wisdom, a roadmap to show each other the way. And what seemed impossible to achieve is now possible. And before you know it, we're empowered to say, if she can do it, I can do it. In the spotlight, a woman I have wanted to interview for many years. And it's not because she's famous. It's because she is a survivor in every sense of the word. Julie Freeman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. So nice to be here with you. We are settled into my little bungalow here in Palm Springs, California. You drove three hours for this interview. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. The first time I met you, we were parishioners together at St. John's Church in Wellesley Hills, Massachusetts, and you were singing up there like an angel. And somebody said to me, do you know that she's just become a widow? That's the first thing I ever heard about you. Can you take me back to that time in your life? That was back in 2000. This was my second marriage, and my husband had a freak anoxic brain injury that left him vegetative for about three and a half years in and out of hospitals and institutions before he passed away. Wow. Here you are, you're a young widow, you've got two daughters to raise. How old were they at the time? Ashley was four when Stan passed away, and uh, Lindsay was seven years different, so she was 11. Tough times at any time for a child, right? Yes. How did you handle this with your girls? Ashley being very young, I really tried to be very honest and open, but not go into a lot of details. While Stan was ill, we actually visited him in the various hospitals every week. And I tried to normalize medical conditions as, as much as I possibly could so that they wouldn't be afraid. And for Lindsay, you know, she knew that things were really challenging for her stepdad. Both girls were, were sad, for sure. There are so many stages to grief, and you've shared with us that this was your second marriage, but how did you make it through that time in your life? Do you remember it well? I have to say my faith. You know, we met at St. John's, and music, as I was thinking about this interview today, has been such an instrumental part of my life since I was a little girl. You know, I grew up in a very chaotic household, an only child, parents that fought all the time and lived in a lot of anxiety and fear. But I remember clearly in Medford, Massachusetts, accompanying my mom to the sodality at St. Francis of Assisi Church and loving the hymns. For me, that became my voice where I couldn't use my voice at home, you know, speaking your feelings or yeah, thoughts. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting. We're both only children. <laughs> and uh, boy, I, I grew up in a pretty unhappy household, too. And music was my salvation as well. Close the door, turn on my little record player. Boy, are we dating ourselves, yep, 45s right? 45s and 33s. <laughs> Becoming a single mom was yes. the next chapter for you. This is something that I share with you as well. And I do recall, you know, on my own for those 15 years, that my big lesson in that portion of my life was that I needed to create a village for my children because I couldn't be there all the time. I couldn't. I couldn't work full-time and be there for everything. How did you handle being a single mom? You're still one. I would say the same thing. You know, this whole idea of creating a village. There was so much support from the teachers and from the pastor at St. John's, so that was wonderful. I had a wonderful community with the folk group that I sang with, people that helped out there. And my daycare providers were just amazing people that went above and beyond. 
When you look back on that period in your life, Julie, what was the biggest lesson for you? And could you pass that along to maybe a a single mom who's listening to our show? Well, biggest lesson is to be available to listen to your children. I think that's one of the most important things, to hear their frustrations, their anger, their, their sorrows. So I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest lessons. When we met in church, you were singing and you were just talking about the role that music has always played in your life. Make me a channel of your peace Where there is hatred, let me bring your love Where there is injury or pardon, Lord And where there's doubt, true faith in you Make me a channel of your peace Where there's despair in life, let me bring hope Where there is darkness, only light And where there's sadness, ever joy Oh, Master Grant What happens to you when you sing? Ah, I feel... This is where we need a webcam because you look so happy even to just answer that question. I feel a connection to God. I also feel that it's my way of connecting with community to help them connect with God. You mentioned a little while ago about your upbringing in Medford. Can we go back there a little bit? So Medford was a large city. And again, my parents really created an environment where the world was a scary place. Outside my door really felt like a scary place. So I was pretty anxious. I actually gained a lot of weight in the second grade, was teased and name-called. I mean, it's no doubt that I went into the field of nutrition and also music as well. So that was one thing I would have to say about growing up there, was definitely feeling it was a big city and felt a lot of anxiety. You said that music really was your salvation. And when your parents were fighting, you were in your room with the door closed, experiencing your music. Who were your role models then when you were growing up? Was there anybody who stepped forward and was a role model for you or a mentor? Yes. I mean, in high school, my choral director, who I'm still friendly with, we stay in touch. He was a huge influence and mentor in my life. There was also Father Steve. We had a close connection to the Friars of the Atonement, which were in Graymore, New York, in a beautiful mountain there we used to visit frequently. My uncle had gone into that ministry, but had illness. He had rheumatic heart fever and could not withstand being able to do the, the work of the service in the ministry. He was another role model for me, Father Steve. You know, you have so many initials after your name. I, I can't even <laughs> believe it. Uh, Julie Freeman, M-A-R-D-L-D-R-Y-T. Let's start talking about being a registered dietitian. Tell me how you decided to go into that career. Well, in high school, I was debating between music and health field. Uh, many of my relatives were in the health field. I became interested in nutrition. And part of that was also my own journey of dealing with obesity and teasing and compulsive overeating. I became very interested in the psychology of all of that. So I did a double minor in education and psychology along with my nutrition background. But what's really interesting is I knew very early on in my career that I didn't want to be the dietitian with the hairnet in the basement of the hospital. <laughs> okay. You don't look like somebody who should ever have a hairnet on her head. So tell me a little bit about your career journey. Ah, it has been a convoluted path. And to this very day, I love to mentor college students who are not on the straight and narrow in terms of I, want, I know I want to do this exactly the way it's you know, charted out for me. 
I finished undergraduate school and tried chiropractic school for six months and thought, well, this is interesting, but I still am interested in nutrition and counseling and education and support. Came back and did my grad work in counseling and psychology. And then ever since that time, I've been doing certifications. You know, Herb Benson's Mind Body Institute in Boston. I've done my functional medicine certification, which I absolutely love and use every day in my life. I've been yoga certified a few times, which has been a huge support for me throughout all of my challenges with my physical illnesses and raising my kids. Well, in fact, you have a brand new book, which we're really excited to tell our listeners about. It's called Sunflowers, Sapphires, and Seraphim, The Story of Healing and Transformation. Tell me a little bit about your book. The book cover itself, sunflowers, have always been drawn to sunflowers. And what's also interesting is the sunflower faces the sun, it faces God. The sunflower is also the patron flower of the Sisters of Notre Dame. I was named after my mother's favorite nun, Sister Julie. And I was then brought to Sister Julie at St. John's, who was a wonderful, wonderful support for my girls. Tell me a little bit about your view on nutrition, because I have a sense from knowing you that it's not just about what you learned in school books. Mm. It's about what you've learned in life. It absolutely is. Yes, most definitely. Growing up and in my formal education, my four years of dietetic school, organic was considered to be for the yuppies. And what's interesting is as I've grown over the years and have learned more and do research, I've found that actually eating food that is unadulterated is really what's best for us. So trying to be as organic as possible. And I don't swing one, one way or the other. You know, I really try to listen to someone's body, you know, when they're describing what's going on with them in terms of symptoms or if I look at their labs, or I I really, really try to dig deep and listen to what their needs are in terms of, is vegetarian good for you? Or do you need to have flesh protein? So I'm not in one camp or another. But I also feel, based on what you've just described to me, you know, when we look at the yoga piece, we look at the alternative piece, that when you treat someone, it's mind-body. Yes. Is that true? Absolutely. Talk about that. So for many of my clients that are dealing with anxiety disorders, and there's quite a few, I really do look at, again, you know, what are the biochemical, physiological aspects that might be going on? And then I'm also either in front of the HIPAA compliance Skype or on the phone and teaching them yoga breathing or teaching them twists to help them with digestion or teaching them, you know, relaxation poses that will help to calm the nervous system and actually increase what we call parasympathetic nervous system activity. I am thinking that there are so many people all around the world saying, I want to be one of her patients. (laughs) Enter cancer. This has been a long journey for you. Take me back to the day you were told you have cancer and your diagnosis on that day. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. 
Well, as I describe in the book, I walked in the hematology office and walked out the oncology office. And of course, it's the same office and it was the same doctor. And I had a delightful chief of oncology at Newton Wellesley Hospital. I wasn't afraid. I think that was one of the first times in my life that fear really dissipated. Having grown up with a lot of anxiety and having had challenges in my first marriage and whatnot, there was a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. But the day that I learned I had cancer, it was like, okay, I need to learn about this. And what am I going to do about it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember a conversation that you and I had. How many years ago was this, by the way, for the diagnosis? I was diagnosed in 2012. Okay. So 2012, you get this diagnosis. And it's some kind of a blood cancer. Can you tell us about your diagnosis? Yes, it was a rare blood cancer called hairy cell leukemia. Not much is known about it. There's less than 2% of the leukemia population that is hairy cell. So when you got the diagnosis, I remember you telling me you dove in and you found out everything that you possibly could about this particular type of cancer. And then what did you do? I was interested in learning about conventional and non-conventional treatments. And even though I'm more drawn to the non-conventional and integrative approaches, I wanted to look at everything in a balanced way. I joined an organization called the People Against Cancer, and the director of that had been the Complementary Alternative Medicine Director at NIH. He left because of the politics, started this organization, and what they do is they gather all of your labs and all of your tests and then send them off to conventional and non-conventional treatment centers around the world to look at who would you best align with. And what happened after that? Well, I had my very first trip out of the country to Germany. (laughs) Didn't speak the language, but I knew somehow that this was what I needed to do. So I was in Stuttgart, Germany for three weeks and learned a lot about detoxification, about the mind-body connection, was reintroduced to things that I was very avidly interested in in the 1970s, which was really about the power of thought. Bruce Lipton, who is a biological scientist, has written the book, The Biology of Belief, and I was reintroduced to these people, which was wonderful. What role did your faith play also in this cancer journey? Oh, huge. I always look to Jesus and say, you know, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? And really did a lot of meditating and a lot of praying around just being guided in the right way. You know, so for letting me get out of the way and letting, letting Jesus take over. Did you get some flack from your traditional doc, your oncologist, when you went your own way? My oncologist, surprisingly, was very open-minded to me, even though he knew nothing about non-traditional approaches. And we were colleagues at the time because I would see a lot of patients from Newton Wellesley. He said, I know you're going to want to do your alternative thing, but I'm going to keep an eye on you, (laughs) which is exactly what he did. So here we are. It's 2019. It's seven years later. And they say that five-year mark is a big number. How are you doing? I am doing better. You know, I'm still on what they call the recall. I go in every three months and have blood work done. I did contract a staph infection in 2014 and ended up having surgery and at that time needed to do chemotherapy. And I would have to say that the sickest I was was the reaction to the chemo. I was very, very ill for about three months post-chemo. And again, it was using the best of both worlds that really helped me. It was my naturopath that really helped me to build my immune system back to at least a stable place. What do you say to others, particularly women who are newly diagnosed based on your experience as a cancer survivor? Well, I think what's really important for them is to really go inside and think about and feel into what is going to be best for them. Because there's a lot of information that comes at them very, very quickly. I had one patient a few months ago 
who, you know, are going to schedule this tomorrow, that's the next day, and that's the next day, without even a time to think about, what do I want to do with my body? So part of it is, what do I want to do with my body, and let me start to learn about these different treatment approaches. Julie, you were here in California for the fires recently. You had a chance to kind of introduce yourself to the city managers and offer some of your expertise, but talk to me a little bit about that. Interestingly, I started to become very interested in sustainable living and also non-toxic living. And part of that was based on my Germany experience in terms of plastics and all of that and, and some of the things that are used in building, you know, building homes as they are today. After the fires and the floods in Santa Barbara, I introduced myself to the government community, became very involved in how do we rebuild, how do we repurpose things in a sustainable way, but also a more affordable way for people. This has been just another passion that I'm so excited about because it really blends together not only my nutrition knowledge, but also this whole idea of reducing toxin exposure. So are you saying that the materials that we use to build our houses could be part of the cancer problem? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's what we call off-gassing from rugs. There's paint exposure with perfluorocarbons. The list goes on and on and on. So the more natural we are, the better. Yes, I love bamboo. (laughs) In fact, I met the bamboo lady in Santa Barbara, who was originally from Massachusetts. So, you know, it's such such a small world. The bamboo lady, you got to tell me a little bit more about her. (laughs) What what does she do? Sell bamboo? She's an architect, but she has done a lot of research on bamboo and how it can be utilized not only in building floors and furniture and clothing and things of that nature. But again, how to reduce carbon exposure and have things that are more non-toxic. It feels like this is a renaissance chapter for you. Oh my goodness, yes. I love it. You're just reinventing (laughs) yourself over and over again. Yes. The book, once again, is called Sunflowers, Sapphires, and Seraphim, A Story of Healing and Transformation. You are very open and very honest when you wrote this book. You talk about your first marriage, you talk about your second marriage, you talk about the death of your husband, you talk about raising your girls, you talk about your career trajectory, you talk about your daughters. Give us an update on how they're doing. My daughters are doing amazingly well. In fact, my older daughter, Lindsay, is expecting, and so she's due April 9th. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm very excited about that. My younger daughter, Ashley, is also doing really well. She's 23. Ashley ended up having a nervous breakdown, you know, at a critical point. I was diagnosed when she was going into her senior year of high school. I had the staph infection when we had to sell our home and move to a new community. And she knew no one. And she was heading into her junior year of college. As she was entering her senior year, felt, how can I take life on? And it was through actually non-traditional approaches that um, Ashley is doing fabulous today. What's it like to see your daughter fall apart like that? It was heartbreaking as a parent to watch it. There was also a large part of me that knew that there was going to be a greater good out of all of this pain and suffering. And that is really the way that I look at all of these challenges in life. And I've tried to always say that to my girls as well. I've got a handful of questions that I ask every woman who shares her story with me. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I look at it in terms of what is the life lesson that I meant to learn from this? What's the greater meaning? What is the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? And can you pass it along to our listeners? Career advice is to follow your passion. 
And I think that's a really important one because there are so many times that young people are told to go in a certain direction because that's financially secure or there's going to be job security. And of course, we have no job security in today's day and age. But what really allows people to grow and become, I think, successful, and I think we have to define success in many ways, is really by following their dream and their passion. If you could go back and talk to Julie, the young widow, what would you say to her? You're going to be okay. We all have chapters in our lives, don't you think? Yes. What chapter are you in? (laughs) Ah, I am in the chapter of wanting to bring my voice and my mission forward. I want to be and plan to be part of the change and paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And I'm very passionate about that. Fairly new to California, and I actually made another move to be closer to Lindsay and Scott because they wanted me closer as the new baby's coming, and that's delightful. So in terms of creating that path, I'm starting. I'm starting from scratch. You're on the road. I'm on the road. It might be less traveled, but you're on the road. (laughs) Yes. You could go back then and talk to Julie on the day that she was diagnosed with cancer. What have you learned that you could tell her? That cancer is not a death sentence that cancer may be a chronic condition for life, and that there's a level of acceptance that goes along with that. I listened to one of your other podcasts from someone else who had cancer, and I would have to say very similar things. Your body has changed after chemotherapy. And while it would have been delightful to avoid that, the staph infection, I also have Lyme, and I also have Epstein-Barr virus, which suppresses the immune system as well. My immune system couldn't handle, you know, being able to take all of the challenge. Mm, But you look great. Thank you. It's been so nice to spend this time with you. Final question. At this moment, at this time in your life, what does success mean to you? Success is being able to share, share strengths and share passions with other people and have them be inspired. And I think for me, that's probably one of the most important things is to really feel that I'm an inspiration and have helped to change someone else's life. Well, I think that if our listeners want to get inspired, they should go to Amazon.com and get this fantastic life story, Sunflowers, Sapphires, and Seraphim, a story of healing and transformation. Julie Freeman, thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome, Candy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?